When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. Well, we used to look up in the sky and wonder at our place in the stars. Now we just look down and worry about our place in the dirt. Quite frankly, everybody else has an interest in sending you to the electric chair. I'm rude. This is Simon Rose, about to talk to James Cameron Wilson about the business of film. Every time I hear that clip from Groot, I think, you know, people standing up saying, no, I'm Groot. It just reminds me of the Spartacus quote for some strange reason. Anyway, James, we're going to be talking the business of film, and you're going to it tell me how the box office... It smile every time I hear that. Yeah. It makes me smile, which is it's... rather appropriate for our number one film this week. But right. we, you may recollect that after the disastrous charts that we've had recently... Last week, it leapt up 123.8%. Well, we had two new, very strong films in the chart, Ticket to Paradise and Don't Worry, Darling. So the fact that it's gone down again, Mm. we must expect, really, in this day and age. And it did dip from the previous weekend by 0.1%. Percent. Well, statistically, that's unchanged. Oh, well, that's quite impressive. Good. That is, yeah, considering last weekend was so good, that's actually quite good news. And we had two strong new entries this week. At number one, we had Smile, which is, you'll be glad to know, a horror film. And it's yes. a grinning textbook of the cliched horror film. It goes but... quiet. You know there's going to be a jump scare. There's a cat, and it meows. There are no silent cats in the movies. And the victim at the heart of it all is a young woman. Oh, and there's a cabin in the woods, the usual (laughs) roster of hallucinations, sudden lurches out of what turns out to be nothing more than a waking nightmare. But at the centre of all this is Sosie Bacon, who isn't half bad. She almost holds the movie together. If she looks a bit like Barbara Hershey, Mm. with a dash of Hilary Swank, it's a complete coincidence because she's the daughter of Kevin Bacon and Cara Sedgwick. So that's where she got her acting chops from, Sosie Bacon. The film also looks pretty good. Thank you, DP Charlie Sarraf. And you'd be forgiven for thinking that it is actually better than it is. There's nothing like a strong central performance to keep an audience invested up to a point. Like Boogie Nights, District 9 and 12 Monkeys, Smile is adapted from a short film. Laura hasn't slept. And if it had been nearer the length of Parker Finn's 11-minute film, it might have improved it enormously. Smile is almost two hours long and is bogged down with long years. 
most of which could have done with a neat trim. At times, it feels like a psychological drama hiding behind a horror film. But apart from the A-Team certificate gore and suicide theme, it is a very boring film. Mm. I don't remember being so bored by a horror film for a long time, in spite of the wonderful performance from Sozy. Well, it'll be interesting to see what that does next week then, James. It's been a good, yeah, it's been a good time for strong female performances. Indeed, it did. It's also number one in the US, Smile. Now, Don't Worry Darling was at number two last week, and it's still at number two. Another, well, even better performance from Florence Pugh. It's down 34%. It made 1.8 million, which is what Smile made. Don't Worry Darling made £25,000 less mm. for a total now of £6.2 Somebody did tell me this week they didn't, they'd rather enjoyed it. And I, I said, you said you thought the ending was a bit of a cop-out. I think that's what you said. They said uh, I no, did say I really, that. I said, oh, I really liked it. I can't remember who it was. But, so they... I'm, I'm unsure whether to go and see it or not. Well, it's enjoyable while it lasts until that wretched ending when everybody goes out scratching their head saying WTF. Number three, we have Ticket to Paradise, which was at number one, down a colossal 52% with 1.3 million and a total of 5.2 million. So with Don't Worry Darling now with 6.2 mil in its pocket, Florence Pugh is pro proving better at the box office than Julia Roberts. Yay! Number four, we have a new film called... Mrs. Paris, sorry, Mrs. Oh, yes. Harris. Mrs. Harris, yes. Mrs. Harris goes to Paris, which you may have seen. Uh, you may remember that Leslie Manville snared her first Oscar nomination for playing Daniel Day Lewis's sister in Phantom Thread, who runs his haute couture business in 1950s London. Well, in Mrs. Harris goes to Paris, she's back in 1950s London. But this time, on the other side of the fence, so to speak, Leslie Manville can play pretty much any rung of the English class system. And here she's a char lady who reckons that every day is her lucky day, even though she's lamenting the loss of her Eddie, who has yet to return from the front line of the Second World War, 12 years previously. But Ada Harris is an optimist, so much so that she risks a hundred quid of her savings on a dog at the races just because it's called haute couture it loses and she has to start again from scratch because she's been seduced by the sight of a christian dior dress hanging in the wardrobe of an employer so ada resolved to scrimp and save until she has enough money to go to paris to buy a sequined frock for 500 pounds from the very house of Christian Dior. This is the first big screen adaptation of the 1958 Paul Gallico novel, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, although it has been filmed twice before for television, once as a German production, and then as an Angela Lansbury vehicle, directed by her son, Anthony Shaw, who I once directed in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? But oh. that's a... That's irrelevant. <laughs> the strength of the film, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, at least for people of a certain age, is I think it's homage to a bygone era when expressions like footloose and fancy free and Gordon Bennett were the norm. 
it's also nice to spend time with a spirit like Ada, who is essentially one of the invisible people you don't often encounter mm. in the cinema. It's a bit twee, a bit cosy, but it is a welcome relief from the endless gloom of the television news. And that made £808,000 last weekend. Mm. At number five, we've got... uh, Yeah, I was just going to say, we ha- we had, when I was little, we had a clinic called Ada H, but uh, her Did age was you? Hawthorne, Hawthorne Thwaite. Slightly different. Mrs Hawthorne goes to... <laughs> Mrs Hawthorne Thwaite goes to Paris. Yes, doesn't quite trip off the tongue, No, does it? No, no, not quite. At uh, number five, we've got a film that I can't pronounce, which is uh, Pony Yin Selvan part one, which is a very long action drama from India. Number six, we've got Avatar, which was at number three, down 40%. At seven, we've got See How They Run, which is probably, yeah, certainly in the top 10, I would say the most enjoyable film around Mm. at the moment. And it's wonderful when you tell people and they read your reviews and they go to the cinema and they come back and say, yes, James, I loved it. And a lot of my friends are enjoying See How They Run. Super. Down so what's that taken so far? That has taken a total of 4.3 million. Mm. And it's the funniest Saoirse Ronan has ever been. And people have come up to me and said, who is this actress? She's really funny. I said, you don't know who Saoirse Ronan is. Mm. She, she's not only funny, she can do drama as well. Yes, well, she's not done this. I, she hasn't done comedy before, has she? No, no, no. no, no. Well, she was in uh, Wes Anderson's The Grand Budapest Hotel, but she had a very small part yeah. in that. And that was an all-star cast with Adrian Brody, who seems to be in everything at the moment, including See How They Run. Uh, at number eight, we have Minions. The Rise of Gru, which was at number six, up, up, I tell you, Simon, 6.4%, with a total of 45.8 million. It's staying in the chart just to torment you, James. It is, it is. 14 bloody weeks, excuse my French. (laughs) Number nine, DC League of Super Pets was at number seven, down 6%, with a total of 15.4 million. And at number 10, 10, the Spanish cartoon Tad the Lost Explorer, Three, we're calling it, up 1%. But I just have to say, before we have our break, at number yeah. 22, Prima Facie. I say this because it's the first event cinema release to pass £5 million at the UK box office. This isn't even a film. This is a play. So that is quite a momentous... Yes, a play that is not not showing as often as lots of other films. It's normally once or twice a week in cinemas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's amazing. Uh, extraordinary performance by Jodie Comer. So yes. British actresses are doing rather well at the moment. What with Jodie Comer, Leslie Manville, and best of all, Florence Pugh. Yes. Okay, James. Well, as you say, it's probably time for us to take a break. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You're listening to The Business of Film on Share Radio. Um, plenty of other podcasts of The Business of Film can be found, and all the other Share Radio podcasts can be found by searching on your favourite podcast platform for Harkin, H-R-K-N, without the vowels. Um, so I'm talking to James Cameron Wilson. We're talking Business of Film. Where now, James? Well, due to popular demand, I'm going to do another chart, another top ten. This is the... Oh, do I have well, to guess things yes, now? Yes, yes, oh, you do. Yeah. Okay, right. Um, this is, this is a very popular feature. So this is the top 10 
highest grossing horror films of all time. I hate horror. Globally. Globally. So this is this will be a real challenge. And I'm going to go from 10 to number one. And our listeners can sort of pit themselves against you. So at number 10, we have Prometh... Oh, God, I've just said it. Prometheus. Would it be Prometheus? Okay. I wouldn't, have got, I wouldn't have guessed it. Okay, fine. Okay, Prometheus is the 10th highest grossing horror well, that's film. That's sci-fi, isn't it, really? I've always maintained that Alien is the best horror film I've yeah, ever seen. Okay. We see, it's I can horror only watch it because space. I... Yes, that's true. I can only watch it because I think it's sci-fi. Okay. Okay, right. At number nine, I'm not going to tell you this, a 2002 film directed by M. Night Shyamalan. It's a supernatural thriller. Sixth Sense. Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, oh, I can't remember. Unbreakable? No. And Rory Kalkin. No, I can't and remember. Cherry Jones. Can't remember. And Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson remember. gets top billing. Crop, crop circus. Oh, yeah, okay, yes. Well, that wasn't bad. Yeah, no, it, it's good. It holds up well, too. I saw it well, again. I didn't recently. think that was a horror film, but okay, fine. It's it's generally considered a horror film. Okay. Uh, and it's called Signs. Signs, yes, I remember now. Okay, okay, number eight, we've got a 2017 film set in Egypt starring Tom Cruise. And as Tom Cruise has only made one film in Egypt, this is quite an easy one. I can't remember. It wasn't oh, okay. in The Mummy, so it can't be that. It was uh, The Mummy. Oh, was it? I didn't even yeah. remember he was in it. Okay. He did the remake of The Mummy, oh, yeah. which is funny because at number seven, we've got another film set in Egypt, which was made in 1999, starring Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz. Mm. That probably also has Mummy in the title, but I can't think what it is. It's The Mummy. Oh, okay. Right, okay. <laughs> At number six, we've got another film set in Egypt, made in 2001, also with Brendan Fraser. It's funny that they've all... Mummy Returns. Up. Yes! yes! Oh. <laughs> okay. okay, I don't even remember there was a film called that, but okay, fine. Or, or right. indeed a remake, uh, or indeed a sequel. Yeah, yeah I know, not my favourite franchise. Okay. At number five... Has the next one got be... Mummy in the title? Has uh, the what? Next one got oh, Mummy in the no, title? No, no, we're, we're finished okay. with The Mummy right, okay, for, good. for this year. At number five, we have a film made in 1973, directed by William Friedkin, starring Ellen Burstyn as a worried mum. The Exorcist. The Exorcist, absolutely. I remember getting very, very cross with my daughter who watched it in a slumber party with friends when she was far too young. And I started telling her off, and she said, but it's hysterically funny. Um, my brother found it funny. I almost walked out of the cinema, but yes, I'm very We need young to worry about we need to worry about my daughter and your brother then. I think. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's number four? Number four. This is a 2019 film. It's a sequel, and it's a Stephen King adaptation about a horrid clown. 2019. Oh, I can't remember. I mean, you would have talked about it, but I certainly didn't see it. Only three years ago. I, I know, James, but it's horror. Okay. I hate horror. Okay. okay. It. Chapter two. Number three, we have a 2013 epic directed by Mark Forster and starring Brad Pitt. And they've just made a sequel to this because it was a huge success, obviously, as it's number three of the highest grossing horror films of all time. The American title is pronounced differently from the English title. Oh, and it's no. about zombies. 
World oh. War Z. Oh, yeah, yes, okay. Which I thought was terrific. Yes, I remember we did discuss that. And I saw it, in fact, and it was quite good fun. But again, I sort of thought it was almost more science fiction than horror. I'd say anyway, I can watch... Hang on, them. zombies are horror. Well... It's a staple oh, of... Zombies okay. are a staple right. of horror films. Yes, I know. And we're, we have another M. Night Shyamalan film at number two, which was made in 1999, and you've already said it. Sixth Sense. Absolutely. Right. Which... Um, so I'd like to see again, because I haven't seen since, you know... Understanding the, the thing we can't talk about. Well, well, indeed. And yes. I didn't realise. But anyway. Um, yes. We've talked about this before. I know. Yeah, yeah we have. We have. <laughs> yes. Okay. And the highest grossing film of all time is a Stephen King adaptation about a horrid clown. Well, that presumably is it. That's it. Yes. I mean, I, I, I confess, it and it, it chapter two just passed me by completely. I've even forgotten they existed. Um, Rather like the mummy films. I can't remember. I, I obviously have whatever a fear of clowns is. I remember you telling me what it was, and I've now long since forgotten. It's a very long word beginning with C. Yes, clownophobia. Probably not. Not clownophobia. No, no, no. okay. It's not something so, I talk about very uh, often. So that top 10 horror films, I certainly did not do as well as I did with the um, the top 10 UK releases of foreign language movies. But then I loathe horror. So Well... We'll, we'll do something easier next okay. time we do uh, an all-time chart. Now, I Thank think you. we have time to talk about Blonde, which everybody is talking about. This is on Netflix. The last time an actress was nominated for an Oscar for playing Marilyn Monroe was 10 years ago mm -hmm. when Michelle Williams was shortlisted for My, My Week, Week with Marilyn. Which I enjoyed immensely. I did indeed. I, I did too. I so much so I went out and read the book. It's one of those roles like the Joker that seems to attract awards kudos. And this year, Anna de Armas is being tipped for her performance as Norma Jean Baker in Andrew Dominic's Blonde. But what's particularly remarkable about her performance is that she isn't even American. And being born in Havana, Spanish is her first language. It's a bold case of casting against type when you think she's probably most famous for playing the meek nurse, variously described as coming from Brazil, Paraguay, Uruguay, and Ecuador in Knives Out. And for her ass-kicking role as the Cuban agent Paloma in No Time to Die. She was also good value as Ben Affleck's unfaithful wife in Adrian Lyons' very underlooked Deep Water and has appeared in a number of Cuban, Spanish and American films. But Marilyn Monroe? I don't think so. It's odd how these things arrive in twos. I didn't think there was room for another Elvis Presley biopic, but the Australian filmmaker Baz Luhrmann made Elvis all his own, albeit at some considerable length. And now we have an additional Australian director, Andrew Dominic, who has tackled another quintessential American icon. And be warned, Blonde is even longer than Elvis, coming in at over two and three quarter hours. Grief. And it's every bit as idiosyncratic as Lerman's Elvis. If not more so, it's in black and white and it's in colour. It's in widescreen. 
It's in the academy ratio and various other aspect ratios. Um, it's a rough approximation of the novel of the same name by Joyce Carol Oates, who declared that her book was a work of fiction. So this is posited as a fictional take on the life of Marilyn Monroe, a multi-hued impressionistic piece starring a Spanish-Cuban actress as Hollywood's favourite blonde bombshell in the first Netflix film to receive an NC-17 rating, or in England, an 18 certificate. I was intrigued, but I can't say I was actually looking forward to a 166-minute mm. experimental drama in black and white about an actress I have already seen portrayed a number of times. But so much of what surrounds the myth of Marilyn Monroe is exactly that, myth. Whose version do you believe? The gossip mills? Marilyn's? The various versions cooked up by overzealous journalists? Her unfaithful lovers? Biography is already a nebulous thing, and any writer or filmmaker can be can but encapsulate and throw fresh light on a life that is only half known. However, if Blonde is fiction, it certainly hits all the celebrated bullet points. This Marilyn was born Norma Jean Baker to an unstable mother, is placed in a home at a young age, grows up to be an actress and marries the baseball legend Joe DiMaggio, and then the celebrated playwright Arthur Miller. Of course, there is a lot more besides. The film is 166 minutes, much of it perhaps invented and much of it based on supposition, such as her relationship with the leading figure of the US government, which we all know about. Yes. But they do actually depict it. If you are willing to sit through Blonde, I advise you to approach it with an open mind and a strong cafetiere of coffee, as I did. Initially, when it began, I thought, oh, no, this is so self-indulgent. But thanks to the remarkable performance of Anna de Armas, I found myself drawn deeper and deeper into the world of this damaged being who just craved to find her father and to have children of her own and to become a great actress. Mm. So many scenes still keep coming back to me, such as when she finds out that her co-star in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, Jane Russell, is being, being paid $100,000 to her 500 bucks a week. And when she sits down with Arthur Miller, Adrian Brody, again, yes, uh, and to his surprise, she has a deep understanding of Chekhov. The film may be called Blonde, which itself is ironic, as she wasn't blonde, but this is this Marilyn is anything but dumb. And Anna de Armas not only brings a breathy vulnerability to her performance, but an injured intelligence. Some of it is quite self-indulgent, much of it much of it quite voyeuristic, and a lot of it uncomfortable to watch. Like Elvis, Marilyn was incredibly exploited. But the film is also a probing analysis of the whole art of film biography and is a heartbreaking experience fueled by the extraordinary depth of the central performance. I haven't seen a better performance this year by any actress. She wow. really captures Marilyn Monroe. 
Uh, it is an extraordinary film. It is a work of cinematic artistry. And it's got so many extraordinary scenes that I sort of want to go back and reread a biography. And so it didn't feel too long once you'd got into it? I knew it was going to be long. I had the cafeteria of coffee. Mm. I, and then I got completely sucked into it. And by the end, I was just a wreck. And I just thought it was quite extraordinary. People have complained that it's not true. But if Quentin Tarantino can get away with making a fictional film about Sharon Tate, or indeed, for that matter, mm. Hitler... And biography, how I mean, biography is never it's it's so um, it's never going to be true to life, whatever. It, it, well, that have, happens, yeah, precisely, exactly. yes, well, intriguing. And that's presumably not in cinemas, but it's gone straight to it was at cinemas for okay. the first week and it's now on Netflix, right? And I was surprised quite how won over I was by it, largely because of an extraordinary performance, and it mm. is a an amazing tale. And this is an 18, of, though. It is an 18, yes. Um, there is a lot of... Well, of course, she was raped. She had one, at least one forced abortion, miscarriages. Um, there's a lot in here to, to, to worry the children. That's okay, James. Thank you very much. That's blonde, whereas the horror films are what worries me. Okay, James Cameron Wilson, thank you very much indeed. That is it for this week from the business of film. Did you just look at me? Did you? Look at me. Look at me. How dare you? Close your eyes. There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. The, uh, Stuff that dreams are made of. <laughs>